Hey, everybody. The deadline to get your application in for the spring vintage of Village Global Accelerator is March 1st. Companies that have been through the accelerator have raised from some of the best venture funds in the world, like A16Z, Lux, Spark, Bessemer, Founders Fund, and many more. Learn more and apply at villageglobal.vc slash accelerator. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with a very special guest, Sar Haribakti, Program Director for On Deck Fintech, to chat about the new program and some trends emerging in fintech. Sar, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time speaker. So excited to be here. So, so by way of introduction, can you share how you got involved first in fintech? Yeah, for sure. Um, so ever since I was little, I've always been fascinated by sort of the idea of how money works, right, and what sort of we do with it. Uh, my, my parents and grandparents growing up used to tell me two things with respect to money. Money saved is money earned. And the first step to investing in life is sort of saving. And those two principles have stuck with me ever since. And then sort of uh, when you think about what technology is, in the simplest sense, it's sort of a forcing function for pushing costs down and increasing access, right? So when I think about fintech, you're basically applying those principles of technology to financial services. And financial prosperity sort of is a crucial thing for everyone, regardless of who they are, what they do, and sort of how they live. So in a lot of ways, my interest in fintech has come naturally to me. Um, Work-wise, I worked in growth and partnerships at a classic online lender. So we used to do merchant cash advances or sort of revenue share-based financing. That, that, that concept is fairly in vogue these days with sort of startups like Pipe and Capchase. And then after that, I moved on to a tech company uh, uh, that served independent pizza shops called Slice based in New York City. And my sole job was to launch financial products for those guys, right? Uh, working at an on-fintech company. So in a lot of ways, my career sort of reflects the evolution of fintech, which I'm sure we'll be talking about more. But yeah, that, that's, that's how I got involved. Awesome. So, so sorry, why don't you give a bit of a background of how fintech has evolved uh, over time and how it's different from, from the areas in tech? Yeah. So I'll, I'll handle the first one first. So uh, when you think back to sort of the past couple of decades, the long arc of fintech has always been about lowering costs, reducing friction, sort of increasing access and personalization, right? What has evolved is sort of how we go about designing these services, right? Who gets to serve, what customers and when, right? And sort of how successful are we on those dimensions of sort of cost, friction, personalization, and access, right? So if you, if you think back past 100 years or so, most financial services have been something that have been offered by the big banks or sort of the regional financial institutions or your local credit unions, right? So you sort of walk into a local branch, you create a, you set up an account, right? You deposit some money, you get a loan. That's been a mental model of sort of how financial services work, right? That slowly started shifting uh, with respect to tech companies with the likes of PayPal in sort of mid, mid to late 90s, right? People started associating tech companies with this idea of sort of financial services for the first time. Um, so over past two uh, decades, for the most part, founders and companies have gone after financial services as a vertical, right? And the greatest shift uh, in the history of, fin- of financial services has been sort of this idea of people willing, uh, uh, willing and sort of accepting the idea of having the financial services from tech companies as opposed to just like traditional financial incumbents, right? And sort of with, uh, and that phase is commonly referred to as FinTech 1.0, 
right, by the insiders. The, the idea is these companies started out as next generation of financial services brands, right? And that gave us everything from Stripes and Argents of the world to Robinhood, Paytm, Paystack, TransferWise, Root, and Lemonades of the world, right? So e- even when I sort of think about the evolution of fintech, it is crazy to me that less than 20 years ago, the idea of putting your credit cards online wasn't normal, right? And now you take, let's say, banking, for instance, right? There's this, uh, I'm pretty sure most of our sort of listeners would have seen one of those CB Insight charts of sort of startups unbundling uh, dozens of different products that banks offer, right? And that has given us sort of chimes and currents and new banks and monzos of the world. So that, that's basically FinTech 1.0. And then with respect to your second question about sort of how it varies from other areas in uh, tech, FinTech, unlike most areas, for example, social and enterprise software, is beholden to regional regulations, right? And rightfully so, right? So this this limits um, winner-take-all dynamics that we tend to see in other areas in uh, uh, tech. And this is why you see sort of regional versions of Venmo, Chime, Robin, raise massive rounds still this day. And oftentimes it is the same set of top tier American venture firms that are funding these uh, uh, Venmo's and Robinhood's of the world, but for every other region across the globe, right? So that's that's mainly how fintech varies from traditional finance, uh, traditional software categories. What are the most frontier themes in fintech right now? Yeah, so this is sort of the most exciting topic. So uh, by any 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 reasonable metric out there, any any stat fintech has exploded over the past ten years, right? Um, 2020 was actually a blockbuster year for fintech. A lot of themes that were brewing silently for the past five years got accelerated because of um, pandemic and it's sort of first and second order effects. And you see this from everything from sort of contactless payments to sort of new brokerage accounts set up on Robinhoods and publics of the world, right? But one thing that has sort of defined uh, financial technology is, is sort of the complexity in building these new financial services. So I would argue we've been under-innovating within fintech, uh, despite what you've seen over past 18 months, right? Uh, when, when you really compare sort of fintech to mobile or cloud computing, we're actually lagging behind. And, and the, the, the biggest reason why that is has been sort of the complexity because of the regulations, right? So uh, over, over past five to six years, there has been a growing wave of companies aggressively designing sort of the building blocks for all up for other companies to sort of launch financial services in fast, flexible, and compliant way. That trend is not new by any means. So if you, if you think back to companies like Synapses and Plaids of the world, those guys got started back in 2012, 2013, 2014. But this trend of sort of designing and offering building blocks has been on steroids over the past two, three, two to three years. Right. So there's a reason why checking accounts and sort of neobanks and debit cards are sort of memes uh, on fintech Twitter. Right. That speaks to sort of the tremendous progress we've made in our ecosystem. Right. These products that were sort of incredibly difficult to launch now are memes because everyone seems to be launching them. Right. And that's great. That's a net positive in my mind because that, that, that amounts to tremendous consumer benefit. So this idea of building blocks enables sort of non-fintech companies to launch financial products. And this was literally my job as the GM for fintech at Slice before I joined on deck, right? So my job was to launch financial products uh, while still not working at a fintech company, right? So the, the, the lines between what's fintech and what's not in fintech are blurring, right? Fintech is going from a clearly defined vertical where sort of stripes and audience of the world sit, sit in to a horizontal layer. Right. Uh, similar to sort of what the trajectory that sort of software in general is followed. We are going from tech as a vertical to tech as a horizontal layer. Right. Uh, sort of tech as a vertical makes no sense. Increasingly, fintech as a vertical would make less and less sense over the next decade. 
right? So, um, and, and sort of, and this, this, this has been, uh, uh, the insiders would call this trend sort of embedded fintech or fin, fintech 2.0, depending on who you ask. But the idea is simple. Software companies have software unit economics and software products. Can, now we can basically launch financial products with financial like, unit economics on top of those um, software economics as a secondary business, right? And that's massive. That that radically changes how we think about financial services because right now, if you want to offer an insurance product, you don't necessarily have to start an insurance company, right? You could basically enable other platforms and marketplaces to offer insurance products, right? So uh, uh, by the virtue of doing so, you're focusing less on customer acquisition as a software company because you already have those guys. So you're not spending on CAC. Right, you're just launching financial products that work uh, in sync with your software business. Right, so there's this flywheel of software, financial services, data, and distribution. So a handful of examples to make this concrete. There's an LA-based company called Stem. They work with musicians, right? They help them in distributing their music, right? So they they have they have what we call MCAs, right? Uh, they they offer uh, revenue share based lending products to the musicians. Now this is very much not a fintech company but they're sort of in the lending business. Other example would be DoorDashes and Ubers and Lyfts of the world offer banking products to the drivers. Very much non-fintech companies getting into something that chimes of the world are famous for, right? Uh, Another example would be sort of of all these uh, working capital arms from the likes of Patreon, QuickBooks, Shopify, Flexport, right? All of them basically have this flywheel of software and and, and lending. And then increasingly you're seeing uh, uh, vertically focused SaaS companies incorporate payments, Right, so they don't just want to work, be working with Stripe. They don't just want to be thinking of payments as a cost center. They're actively trying to basically make payments a business model. It's something that drives revenue. And the last example I'll give you is sort of uh, all the payroll providers like sort of Gustos and Ripplings of the world have now started offering early access to earned wages. Keep in mind, this was the very exact value proposition that Chime built its entire business on over the past six years. Right, so is Chime going to do fine? Absolutely, but this would mean tremendous consumer benefit. Uh, because all these software platforms can now plug in financial features, right? The second interesting trend, so that's the first trend, embedded fintech. The second interesting trend is sort of pure play of fintech innovation. So there's a lot of underserved needs, behaviors, audiences that sort of now founders can go after because they don't really have to think about much of the plumbing, right? They can basically use a lot of off-the-shelf building blocks and then customize them, tweak them, and then launch financial products better, cheaper, faster than ever before. So those two trends, I believe, are sort of the most frontier ideas uh, in fintech right now, right? So sort of to sum up embedded fintech and then the product innovation, both enabled by the new era of sort of building blocks, so to speak. You, you mentioned you know, how sort of slice fit into your, your interests and in, in evolution of fintech. I, I want to get into the Undeck Fintech Fellowship, but first, and you wrote a blog post about this so people can learn more, but can you give just a little bit of preview of, of, of what excited you to join Omdeck and how it, it sort of fits into your uh, intellectual interests about w- and, and, and thoughts on where the world is going? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Omdeck's an amazing Venn diagram of a bunch of my intellectual interests, right? So uh, uh, outside of FinTech, right, I've always been into this idea of alternative ways of learning, alternative ways of sort of building relationships with people uh, on the internet, right? M- my way of doing that has been being active online by writing uh, and being active on Twitter for the past six to seven years. But in general, I'm not the biggest fan of sort of how uh, learning and networking works in traditional formats, whether it's conferences where you just show up for 24 hours via speed dating everyone or going to a school or sort of signing up for an exec- executive program at a business school, right? There's, there's got to be better ways, out, uh, better options out there that are sort of cheaper and better, uh, more flexible to sort of how people live and sort of how the world is evolving. 
right? So on that basically squarely fits into that idea of expediting sort of the feedback loop between how the world actually works and what people are actually interested in, as opposed to sort of um, lecturing uh, a large lecture hall sort of uh, of 100 students with the same material that sort of the professors have been talking about for the past 15 years, right? So um, so that, that's where sort of the education angle uh, play, uh, plays really well for me with respect to OnDeck and, 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 then, uh, and then FinTech. Uh, a lot of sort of, and we'll talk about this OnDeck FinTech, it is basically what I wish I had in my past three years uh, within FinTech, right? As a sort of someone who was working uh, on these problems problems at different companies, right? As I mentioned, one was pure fintech play, the other was embedded fintech play. And that sort of marks the evolution of the space, right? And I've always longed for sort of a, a support network where I could basically learn uh, side by side with practitioners, right? As opposed to a broadcasting model, as opposed to sort of a one-off one coffee chats, right? So th- those two interests came together when you, when you and I started talking about potentially joining on deck. And that, that, that's, that's where my motivation is. And how about your thoughts just broadly on, on EdTech a, a little bit more broadly because you know, many people ask for businesses like OnDeck but also others, you know, is it a, is it a tech company? Is it an education company? Is it an events company? How, how do you sort of contextualize you know, OnDeck but also just this, this, this style of business? Yeah. So the, 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 the most fascinating businesses to me are sort of those that are hard to categorize, right? So I'll, 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 I'll I'll bring up a fintech example and then go and sort of talk about OnDeck broadly. So, right. So there's this company called Fair, a wholesale marketplace, right? So a lot of people would look at it and say, that's a marketplace. I look at it and say, it's a fintech company, mainly because of how they do what they do, right? Uh, right. So it's, it's extremely hard to categorize what Fair is. Now it is fairly easy because, well, it's a late stage company. But two years ago, when I was reading about it, people were puzzled by what that company did. Right. So with, with on deck, I, I see a similar sort of energy around sort of the persona of on deck. A lot of people are sort of, are sort of are having a hard time categorizing what on deck really is. Right. And I, I faced the same dilemma probably six months ago when a bunch of, bunch of my friends from my time in SF joined on deck uh, as employees. On deck's basically what the first era of ed tech or sort of ed tech 1.0 couldn't, couldn't accomplish. Right. So we, we basically at Tech 1.0 was basically like New York Times putting sort of PDFs of articles on the Internet. That's exactly what we did with at Tech 1.0. We basically recorded a bunch of lectures and put them up online and said, OK, we fixed education. Right. But what, what really matters here and what's subtle yet powerful is sort of who you study with, who you learn with, who you hang out with matters just as much as sort of what you're absorbing, what you're learning, what you're consuming. And this is where sort of OnDeck excels, right? Going going from sort of a broadcasting model to sort of peer to peer model where the content more or less could remain same. I'm not. Su- I'm not suggesting that sort of our content same as the broadcasting model, but all things equal, uh, w- what really matters is sort of the curation of sort of who you're doing something with and sort of sharing sharing sort of uh, a stage and interests, right? So this is why sort of the college model works for the most part, despite all the obvious flaws that sort of people like you have sort of talked about a lot, <laughs> right? They want, well, the one thing they get right is sort of the curation aspect of it, right? Like-minded people within similar age groups spending four years together, right? Everything else is fairly a distraction that that's where sort of the value is, which is where sort of Stanford's and Harvard's of the world in Excel, right? So Ondex trying to replicate that, right? Basically take the best parts of what makes higher education work and then remove the worst parts of EdTech 1.0, which are commonly referred to as sort of MOOCs, so to speak, or sort of YouTube uh, uh, lessons, right? So th- that's how I think about Ondex. And then the other thing would be, it is a fairly <laughs> common meme in the tech zeitgeist right now, right? P- people want to be play- paying for sort of private semi private or semi public communities or networks right uh there's this this 
a lot of chatter around sort of paid social networks. Like under the hood, what, what we are trying, what, what we are really trying to do at OnDeck is sort of come up with a new version of a professional, semi-professional slash uh, social network, right? So you, you, you're paying us uh, to become a fellow, right? You're going through the process for eight to 10 weeks, right? You're joining a community, but then the real magic happens once you become an alum. Right, and we have a bunch of exciting things planned for sort of uh, alums, right? But but th- th- that th- that idea of attaching learning with a professional network, right, behind the scenes, right, th- that's something that gets missed when people sort of try to wrap their heads around what OnDeck really is, right? The journey really begins <laughs> when 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 you're done with the fellowship and you become an alum as opposed to a fellow, right? That's where the most of the magic is. So that that's how I think about it: community learning instead of a professional um, network. One other thing I, I, I really appreciate your perspective on is that you, you talked a bit about what OnDeck and other you know ed, ed tech companies are doing for outsiders because you know Stanford, Harvard, etc. You know create this experience, but only you know the top you know point zero 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 whatever one percent of the world get to experience. Yep. So, so and 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 these types of companies are are expanding that opportunity for for elsewhere. And you've written a lot about this you know well before OnDeck just about how Twitter um, you know uh, creates and other social networks create the opportunities for people to do that. And you are an example of someone who's done it yourself, an outsider who's become uh, an insider. Why don't you talk a little bit about that phenomenon? Yeah. So when you look at sort of statistics on sort of upward socioeconomic mobility in the in the US for sort of college graduates, top tier schools are nowhere even, nowhere in sort of the top 20 list, right? So they basically take a bunch of kids that followed a, a path that by definition, for the most part, requires a certain amount of socioeconomic status and wealth. Right. And they, they basically put them on a, a assembly line of sorts and sort of give them a launching pad to basically become even more successful, which, which again, good for them. My, my brother went to one of those schools. Right. So we, we often sort of have this tension in sort of how we talk about education. So, so this idea of outsiders, right. So, so my, 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 my hope and my sort of vision for sort of joining on deck is this, let's say three to five years from now, right. At a meaningful scale, we'll basically be able to find outsiders anywhere in the world with any interest and plug them into on deck for eight to 10 weeks. And all of a sudden they would be on pretty much the same level, uh, same playing field, right. As a sort of the kid who grew up in Palo Alto, went to Stanford and joined the top D venture for, right. So like doing that is ambitious, but it is doable. It's a solvable problem, right. All we need to do is basically find a lot of driven, ambitious people globally, right. Figure out what makes them tick and then have them match them to the right program give them the same resources and community. And all of a sudden you have a lot more innovations, right? Coming out of it, a lot, a lot more amazing careers coming out of it. Right. So there's absolutely no reason that sort of a handful, uh, a handful of kids every, every couple months <laughs> graduate from these top schools and basically <laughs> uh, become more successful for the most part, 90% of the kids that graduate from these schools would be fine all by themselves. Right. So uh, that, that, that is something I'm personally passionate about and that has nothing to do with FinTech. Right, that, that that is basically more to do with sort of leveling the playing field, so that a lot more smart and interesting people get their fair shot. Right, and I do believe on Dex model, like we we try to make it as accessible as possible. Right, obviously on deck on deck charges. Right, so there's there's some barrier to entry. Right, we do offer a lot of scholarships, and I'm sure sort of we'll we'll, we'll uh, figure out more ways of making it more accessible over time. Right, a part of that is sort of segmenting our programs. Right, so that we can sort of uh, pinpoint sort of the interest areas, right, uh, for, for specific groups of people uh, globally. But yeah, uh, th- that, that, that's something I'm personally uh, passionate about, um, right? And, and Twitter, uh, you're right to point out, Twitter has been that for me, right? But it took me six years, <laughs> right? Like, uh, like we spoke after four years of online friendship, 
<laughs> right? So, so it, it shouldn't have to take that long is just what I'm trying to get at, right? So once you have these smart, interesting people, plug them into a network and then basically enable them to do all the fascinating things that someone who goes to Harvard might be able to do, right? It, it is a solvable problem. It's, it's, it's basically lack of courage and will that has stopped us societally from making this happen. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, we gave a million dollars in scholarships last year, and, and we're going to go hard on on uh, on giving a lot more this year. So, so we're, we're excited to excited for that. Let's get into on, on deck fintech. Why don't you give some background of how you're approaching it and and what people can expect to get out of it? Absolutely. So, so our goal with on deck fintech, uh, my goal with on deck fintech is basically to be a force multiplier for everyone working on the most frontier ideas and problems within fintech ecosystem. Right. So you do not have to be of a certain background. It's for founders, job seekers, operators, investors, anyone who basically is passionate about working on tough problems or investing in tough problems, investing in solutions, finding these tough problems, right, in the ecosystem today or tomorrow, right? People who want to come together to learn, build, grow, and sort of find new opportunities, right? Uh, within FinTech, what I've realized sort of from past three years of working in it is either you're in the inner circle or you're not. And one, if you're one of those lucky ones that are sort of in the inner circle, you have access to sort of every piece of information you need to do a good job, right, uh, at your company. But in general, by definition, most frontier teams do not have established playbooks, right? So there's no communal knowledge, uh, right, in the form of, let's say, A16Cs and sort of four-stand reviews of the world, right, that could help people just like read something for free and do a better job whatever it is they're doing, right? So I want OnDeck to be that from the, for the most frontier themes, right? So OnDeck's not going to be the best place to learn about, let's say, something that has been figured out 10 years ago. There's enough communal knowledge out there, right? So like, what do we bring to the table? In that case, we what we do bring to the table is basically a extremely good curation of people working on these frontier ideas, right? It's, it's a mix of people with sort of varying levels of experience and different backgrounds, right? With the shared interest of sort of making the ideas of embedded fintech ideas of embedded fintech and sort of new products enabled by sort of the emerging infrastructure work, right? Um, and so so for making progress, we need sort of people from traditional software disciplines, right? Uh, mingle with people who often take backseat uh, seats at, at traditional software companies, right? So, so imagine a sort of legal compliance and FP&A folks, right? Those guys are crucial when it comes to launching a financial product. And I learned this lesson the hard way when I was trying to launch a lending product at my previous job, right? You have to have the lawyers involved <laughs> early on, Right. So for, for embedded fintech to work, we need sort of both buyers and sellers, so to speak, to come together. Right. So sellers are basically the sellers of building blocks. Buyers are basically folks that basically have what what I used to be doing at different companies. Right. For for product innovation to work, we, we it's the same logic. We need founders to come together with sort of all the people that sort of help them the, design the tech stack. Right. Um, and then for investors, well, investors always want to be meeting with founders <laughs> and they always want to be meeting with uh, seasoned operators. Um, so, so that, that that's the idea of it on that fintech, right? Sort of combined learning and community on the most uh, frontier and nascent ideas within fintech, right? Uh, and that's by design, right? So, on deck fintech is not just fintech for all, right? On deck fintech would would focus on sort of subset of specific teams within fintech that don't really have the communal knowledge and connections uh, um, so far. And then, selfishly, as I think about sort of how to think through the specifics, I'm going to be designing what I wish I had basically <laughs> over the past three years uh, in being far more successful in sort of all my previous jobs, right? So there's, there's some selfish motivation there. And then a lot of founding fellows basically uh, currently have the job I had at a bunch of uh, well-recognizable uh, software brand names that are uh, non-fintech. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's the idea, 
right? So, and it, it would last for eight weeks and we bring together all sorts of people from all over the ecosystem. And, and what's the why now? So why now part's interesting. So FinTech has been extremely powerful over the past decade, but like if you just look at past 15 months, right? Uh, there's There's been more than three dozen companies that participated in sort of distributing COVID relief. So we're talking everything from food stamps to digital payments, to PPP loans, to unemployment benefits and stimulus checks, right? And A16C has an incredible post about this sort of what, what sort of companies did what, right? So COVID definitely catalyzed a bunch of sort of themes that were brewing under the hood for the past five to six years, right? And then sort of the other piece I would recommend is sort of one written by Charlie Ma. At, 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 he, he works at Alloy now, at, uh, right? So he wrote a piece for FinTech Today sort of talking about all everything that has ha- happened over the past 18 months, Right, so many uh, high-profile events in fintech have happened, which has created this uh, unprecedented level of interest and excitement uh, uh, for for fintech. Right. That being said, the themes that we'll be focusing on within OD fintech are fairly nascent. They have a lot of excitement behind them, but in terms of data points, they're fairly da- nascent. So the infrastructure is still emerging. Embedded fintech is fairly young, but there's a lot of potential here, right? Uh, and and we, we we sort of call it fintech 2.0. So the timing for OD FinTech is somewhat perfect because I do believe we have been under innovating within FinTech because of a whole host of external reasons. And those external reasons are sort of changing over the past five years, right? So the timing wise, it's perfect because a lot of people are curious about it from all sorts of companies, big and small. All, all the venture firms have at least one partner that specializes in fintech these days, right? There's so many new founders that have started uh, fintech companies once they started seeing sort of what, what financial services, what, what fintech specifically can do to people that have gotten uh, extremely affected uh, by the pandemic, right? Sort of the adverse impacts of the pandemic. So timing-wise, this it, we, 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 I'm just lucky. <laughs> uh, timing couldn't have possibly been better. Um, so that, that, that's the idea. The, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Let, let's close with a Broader question about fintech, which is what's sort of the major misconception that that people have about the space right now? Yeah. Um, so five years ago, when I used to talk about startups, a lot of my non-engineering friends would basically say, why would I join a startup? I'm not an engineer. I don't really write code and I don't have to design. So like, what purpose would I serve? Right. <laughs> and obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, that, that, that mindset's fairly limiting and, and, and misguided, to be honest. Right. Because, yes, uh, there's, there's people who write code, people who design, but there's a lot of other things that are going to sort of running a business. Right. So um, I think we sort of seeing I'm sort of seeing a similar trend within fintech. I spoke with a handful of uh, early stage founders over the past two weeks, and most of them, I asked them, well, what's the biggest challenge when it comes to hiring? And they go, well, most people seem to think that you need to have financial services background for working at a uh, fintech startup, which again, I believe is a limiting belief. Like uh, if, if you were to look at sort of the biggest uh, fintech uh, stories and sort of make a list of the top 50 employees that work there, the early employees, probably more than 50% of them had never worked in financial services, <laughs> right? So, so naturally that isn't a prerequisite. If, if, if anything, people who don't have the baggage of sort of working at a financial incumbent often tend to have a beginner's mindset, which helps in sort of questioning the norms and sort of uh, the, the, the assumptions, right? So, so that's something I wish uh, on deck would play uh, somewhat of a role in. And I wish more people in the ecosystem would talk lo- more loudly about like, Fintech is open for all. We, we need more smart, interesting people to join, not just as founders, but like execs, board members, investors, early employees, right? So I'm, I'm hoping we would change that over the next couple of years. That's, that's a perfect place to, uh, to wrap. Uh, Sar, you've been uh, an inspiration to many in terms of your ability to, to, to break in and become an insider uh, just you know, off of the internet. 
um, g- given your given your your background and inspiration for for many others who who want to do the same. And so I'm excited for us to uh, to help facilitate a space where where many people can do that in in, in fintech. And uh, the launch is today, so uh, so definitely check it out. Uh, Sar, thanks so much for for coming to the podcast and, and telling your story with us. Thank you, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.